Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 82, From Murals to Miniatures, Supporting Conservation Through Art with Zoe Fitchett. Hi everyone and welcome back. I have a few updates. I'm going to try and keep these as short as possible so we can jump right into this interview. But there are some important things that we've got to talk about and that being first the etcher contest. So I mentioned it in the last episode that I was going to be posting a giveaway which I did in collaboration with etcher and so the winner will be able to choose a sketchbook of their size whether it's a four a five or a six in either portrait or landscape and either hot press or cold press and so i asked you all to like and comment which kind of puts you into the draw and i additionally asked you to follow me in etcher as well as subscribing to the podcast and i also asked you a question about what you would do uh, what would you choose as a matter of hot or cold press and what would you do as your first piece and i just loved reading through all of this i mean the engagement on this post was just incredible i love how excited everyone was about creating and doing something new and uh, with all of that i took everyone's names and i put them through some it's an online randomizer <laughs> to do these kind of instagram giveaways and i chose a winner and the winner is YRL. And uh, so YRL, I'm going to reach out to you through DM, uh, direct message through Instagram, and I'm going to connect you with Etcher so they can get the book of your choice into the system and off to you. And I'm excited to see what you create first. Yeah, stay tuned. There may be more coming. Um, in the meantime, though, if you've been kind of amped up now about getting an Etcher sketchbook, don't forget that you can use the code MikeH, that's M-I-K-E-H, no spaces, for 10% off your next purchase at Etcher. So please check out Etcher uh, in addition to the sketchbooks, all the other tools and accessories they have for creatives. So I'd like once again to thank Etcher for their support of this podcast and creatives worldwide. So just a few quick art updates on things I've been working on. I uh, discovered some black raspberries on our property, so I decided that would be kind of a fun entry into my perpetual journal. So I did those with, uh, once again, the Micron Sepia Ink 005, and then I used a Pentel water brush and applied some watercolor on that. That was kind of fun because I was able to find some black raspberries that were ripe and some that were on their way. And so I was playing around with those colors, trying to get uh, them reasonably accurate. And that was kind of a fun experience. And then what I did, which I haven't shared on Instagram yet, so you'll be the first to hear it, is I made some black raspberry ink. And so I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to, I think I may mix it with the mushroom ink that I made last fall. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I mixed some vinegar, some salt into this, and I added a little bit of gum arabic as well. And so we'll see. It's my first time playing with gum arabic. I'm not sure I did it right, but we'll see what happens. And uh, I may add some more if I feel like it, it didn't work out. But I'm going to try something <laughs> that's obviously a black raspberry color and uh, see what I can pull off with that. So keep an eye on my Instagram. I'm going to probably do something in the next day or two as of the, the launch of this episode. So I talked about in my Instagram feed that I was inspired by somebody 
in uh, doing some miniatures and you know I'm using this uh, this Fabriano 640 GSM so on the scale of things I normally draw or paint on 300 GSM so this is much thicker paper but it's hot press and I was inspired by my guest this week so <laughs> I went ahead and got ahead of things a little bit and decided to try a miniature so I did a little bunny rabbit uh, I did that in graphite once again, using the, the wonderful Pentel Graph Gear 1000 with uh, the 0.3 millimeter lead in uh, 2B. And that was a perfect tool for this kind of size. It's two inches by two inches. And that was a fun little experiment. I'm going to do a few more because I've cut about 30 <laughs> of these little squares. And so I've got to fill them with things. So I'm going to do some colored pencil. I'm going to do some ink. I'm going to do some uh, watercolor. And that leads me to my next piece, which was a little baby deer. I did that with colored pencil. That was part of an etcher art gathering. And uh, th that was kind of a fun uh, little piece. It was two, two inches by three inches. It was about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes or so that I did that in. That was a, a little uh, capture I did a few years ago. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was kind of fun. That was once again, my foray back into colored pencil. I'm going to probably spend a little bit more time on a smaller two by two just to uh, to dig into some inspiration from uh, Zoe the guest this week and and see if I can channel some of her creativity and uh, see what I can pull off with that and so the other piece that I worked on was just a super quick piece but this was once again in my a6 etcher um, hot press journal and I did this at a coffee shop sitting outside it is uh, just simply a groundhog we have a lot of them around here this is actually a little baby and uh, I didn't really focus too much on the detail except the eye and a little bit around the nose, but I just uh, felt like it was time to celebrate a groundhog. We have too many of them, <laughs> but it was uh, it was kind of interesting being able to play with texture and color, and once again focusing on the eye and getting that catch light of the blue sky just right. So um, it was kind of nice, and I had a few people stop by and take a look at what I was doing, and uh, very nice things to say. So I always love that bit of. Uh, of a coffee shop. So if you see me at a coffee shop drawing or painting, please stop by and say, hey, I appreciate it. And so the last piece I did was a, a painted turtle, once again in that A6 sketchbook. And I did this as part of that Etcher art gathering. So they Etcher seemed to be putting this on maybe once or twice a week now. And the whole point is you just show up and do what you want. Like it's not, uh, it's not a course, it's not a demo. So Etcher posts this to their Facebook page and then you join through Zoom. And there's probably like six to seven artists in the ones that I've been part of. And we just simply work our own stuff and we exchange ideas and talk about tools and supplies. So it's not necessarily uh, an etcher experience, even though they're hosting it, it's more around what are you creating with? So people talk about different paints and different paper. And there was a wonderful artist talking about color theory in the last one. So uh, it's just really people just hanging out and drawing and painting. And so if that that appeals to you, you should definitely check it out. I don't know if there's a set schedule with this, but it seems to be at least once a week now. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So I may see you at one if you join the next one. And once again, you have to follow them on uh, Facebook at EtcherFam, F-A-M. That is their Facebook page. And that's where they post them. I think they also do it through their Instagram as well. So that was kind of fun. So I have another giveaway. <laughs> and this one is for the Wild Wonder Nature Journaling Conference. So I talked about it in the last podcast. They have an early bird deadline that has since passed. Uh, so this is a nature journaling conference that's put on September 14th to 18th of 2022. It's um, 
created by uh, John Muir Laws. I think this is the fourth season or fourth edition of it. And it focuses, as I mentioned before, on everything from gouache to doing cross sections, composition, drawing different animals, working with pastels, all kinds of things. And the tickets uh, are now $95. They were $85 until that early bird deadline. <laughs> but I have three tickets to give away. So each ticket is worth $95. This is an online conference. And so all you have to do for your chance to win is follow the link in the show notes to the form. So you simply fill out the Google form. I will ask you for your email address, your first name, and your last name. And then when you submit it, that is your entry. Now, as part of this, I've also woven it into my newsletter so that you can choose to continue with the subscription to the newsletter. You will get an email asking if you want to uh, subscribe to the newsletter. You just simply say yes. If you choose to say no, that is okay. Subscription to the newsletter is not mandatory, <laughs> but I thought uh, just through the connections I have with the software that I use that that would be an interesting opportunity for people to follow my newsletter. Uh, of which I haven't put one out for a couple of months, but <laughs> maybe a little bit more. Uh, so if you choose not to subscribe to the newsletter, that's absolutely cool. Uh, I will be basing this as a random draw on everyone who's completed the form. So the contest ends at midnight Thursday, July 28th. That's midnight Eastern. And I will be drawing three random winners on Friday, so I'll be reaching out to you via email to connect you with the organizers at the Wild Wonder Nature Journaling Conference so that you can get your tickets. So I'm so thankful for the organizers and giving me three passes to give away. This does look exciting. I will be attending. So there are, there are some exciting seminars going on, including previous guests like Lara Call, uh, Gastinger, and Bethan Burton. They're all speaking as well as uh, John Muir Laws, obviously, and, and a bunch of other incredible people. So I'm pretty excited about this, and I hope you are too. So all you have to do is go to the show notes at drawinginspiration.fm slash 82, or you can find the link to that Google form for your entry in my profile. So you can click on that via my Instagram profile or my Twitter profile, and you will see it right at the top as the, uh, the contest giveaway. And the reason I'm doing it through a Google form is I wanted to open this up for more than just Instagram users. And so I wanted this to be available for people on Twitter as well as Instagram. And there's only one entry per person. So good luck. And uh, let's see what happens Friday as a matter of pulling out the winners. I, will, uh, I won't be posting the names, but I will identify that the winners are being chosen. And I will uh, reach out to the three winners. And if I don't hear from you, I will then go to uh, the next individual. So uh, please let me know by email. Keep an eye out for that email that will be going out this Friday, the 29th. So I think that's all for updates. We'll jump into this interview. Before we do that, I just want to mention that we had a bit of an audio glitch. Uh, and so the quality of Zoe's audio stream is not great. But I've tried to clean it up as much as possible. So I do apologize for that. But I just... It's a fantastic conversation with Zoe. I'm pretty excited about this one. And uh, she's already inspired me, and I haven't even shared the podcast yet. So I'm anxious to, to hear what you think. So here we go. My guest this week caught my attention early on for her colored pencil work with a focus on a number of wild animals from Africa. I was then pulled back into her profile with some of her recent acrylic work, and more specifically, the miniatures. 
It was her miniatures that triggered my recent exploration, her ability to render dark and light and still be able to expose details such as fur and complex skin textures is amazing. In addition, her support of conservation efforts around the world highlight the importance of her art subjects in her journey. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Zoe Fitchett. Hi, Zoe. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. It's very early morning here because you're across the pond and I wanted to connect when you had some time. So I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really excited to speak a bit more about my journey and just share a bit about my art. And yeah, it's been something that's kind of been on my list for a while. So I'm just really grateful that you've asked me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I've been following you for some time on Instagram And we talked just before I started recording that the thing that really, I mean, I love your art. Like, let's be clear on that. I love all of it. But the thing that really jumped out at me were the miniatures that you've been doing. And we're going to get more into that. But when I saw the miniatures, I started thinking, you know, I've got this colored pencil set that I haven't used in probably a couple of months. I need to break it out. And what a great way to get into it. So uh, we're going to explore the miniatures in addition to your struggles with the the Cape Buffalo as well and all your other work. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, the miniatures have been so fun. So yeah, I'm so pleased that you found them interesting. So I don't know, you know, if we change up the scale, sometimes it can be a bit uh, I think they can get lost if they're so small, but no, it's it's great that people have found them interesting. It's 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 fun. I think it's a great uh, focus on, especially with your um, your interest in conservation, and that it's a real focus on the animals. So I think it's it's brilliant. As I always do in the podcast, it's interesting to find out where people came from and uh, whether creativity is a common thread through their life. And so for you, Zoe. When did creativity hit you? Is it something that's been with you as a kid or did you come to it later in life? How did your journey around creativity begin? Um, I think going back, I've just always been creative. I've all through school, like primary school for me, so that's from like four and upwards. I was always that child that everyone kind of labeled as the arty one. Um, so I always had pencil in hand. Any opportunity I had to be creative, that was just, my thing so I just jumped in on that and it was recognized by by all of my peers by my teachers by my family is just you know there is the the arty one Um, and so I think that labeling actually helped me to push myself in that side of me Um, I always enjoyed being creative but yeah I think that definitely helped that I was never pushed back and you know it's not like you shouldn't be arty or you need to focus more on this or that. It was always just, oh, yeah, you're the arty one. You like drawing. So I think that kind of positive labelling really helped me. And then I just remember, I think I was around maybe uh, seven, eight, nine, something around then, when I would just spend all of my free time in my room drawing pictures. That was just the one thing I loved doing. And I used to get up at the weekends. My parents would stay like they'd like have a lion so I was up to my own devices and I would just draw and I'd wake up at the weekends and think ah today I'm gonna do a really realistic drawing I've always been fascinated about realism and uh, pushing myself to do something as realistic as possible so yeah I've got these memories of waking up and wanting to achieve my ambition for that that drawing and I'd have a go and you know like 
two, three hours would go by. And I just think, hmm, it's just not quite there. It just wasn't quite what I had pictured in my mind. So I just had that drive in me from quite an early age to just get better. And I think the pairing of the two things, I was always the arty one, always um, going towards the creative you know, subjects or anything I could do that was creative. I would turn any um, any time I had to wait for anything, I'd just find a pen and paper and just create something. So I think, yeah, it's always just been in me. That that's just the thing that I do. So, yeah, it's followed me through my whole life, really. So when you were a kid, were you, you know, the inspiration for me, and, you know, I'm a different generation, but the inspiration for me was like Tom and Jerry and, and some of this kind of stuff. Uh, for you, were you drawing based on, what you saw around you? Were you drawing based on shows you were watching, books you were reading? What was, do you remember some of the inspiration that you had? Um, I think initially I was copying things like Disney characters, because I love Disney, still do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I also had this fact file. um, It was like one of those ring binders that you get. And it had all of these little um, animal fact files inside. So you could unfold the little pamphlet for each one. And I just loved reading all about them. And then they had a few photos within each um, fact file and I'd copy them. So I think, like, although I had the, you know, the Disney characters and stuff to try and do more of a cartoon side of things, I always had inspiration from photography and realism. So going through school, did this become a focus for you through high school or the equivalent in the UK? Was this something that... Uh, you know, I assumed that that's where you went to school. <laughs> um, so was that uh, a focus that you brought through that? Did, or did you divert and, and pursue other kind of activities through the latter part of high school and into uni if you went that far as well? Uh, so I actually only went to college, which here is uh, up to the age of 18. I don't know what that okay. is. Like, I don't know what you have in America, but yeah, only up to 18. I didn't go to university. So... All through my secondary school, which is up to 16, I chose every arty subject I could possibly do um, when they give you the options. Everything was creative. And I was actually given the opportunity by my art teacher to take the GCSE, which is our um, qualification that we get at that age, and take it a year early so that I could then do the first year of the college course in my year 11 so even at that time I was encouraged and I was pushed and I was challenged so that you are good at this you can do better and I was actually given some really cool opportunities so yeah at secondary school I then came away with an AS which is like the first half of an A level and then went to college and again did every single creative subject possible that I was allowed to do you had to choose four subjects I think and I had to actually have permission to take on more than one arty subject because they're all very coursework based and they they don't think that people can keep up with the coursework stuff but I said that I'm I'm dedicated to this to art I want to do all of the creative subjects you can offer me and this is like okay well then you can only do three so I ended up doing um, fine art, art textiles and product design. And then I had a fourth, which I had to pick. And I thought, well, you know, at, at uh, secondary school, I was quite into science. So if, all, if it all falls through and I still want to do something animal related, it's still always animal related, <laughs> then I'll go for biology so that I have some kind of link in with that side of things. Mm-hmm. 
hated the biology, absolutely failed at it because it was all exam based and that's just not how I work. But the other subjects, I just put my heart and soul into them. I absolutely loved doing that. And I would always bring every project somehow, I would bring it back to animals. So we were given a, a title or a theme for each project and it would be really loose, like um, layers or wrinkles or you know something random a random word and I would always somehow bring it back to animals and I'd just build a project based on that. <laughs> That's awesome it sounds very similar to uh, here in Canada where you've got that separation of, of uh, high school college and university mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it sounds very similar that way but it's so cool that you kind of pushed for your creativity through all of this right and I think it speaks to encouraging kids around creativity and, and encouraging them to, to push themselves and do better, whatever it may be. And so that's, that's cool that you were able to pull that through college as yeah. well. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I was, I was looking at um, going to university and I was, I was going to study uh, illustration because I'd been encouraged, you know, like I, like I said, the whole way through I'd been encouraged that creativity and being arty was, was all good. You know, like there's no, nothing holding you back but then it got to the stage of actually how do you make this into a career and the only thing that I could really see as a as a possibility was illustration and I went to the open day and I saw all of these uh, very talented people creating their portfolios and I could see all of their work and the, the potential that they had from doing these courses but it just didn't feel right I think we went on a day that was really gray and miserable and my family all came along with me as well and they were just a bit like eh, it's all right and I just didn't you know you just don't get the right vibe I was just like yeah. nah I'm gonna find a different way so so it, again it's um it's quite good to encourage others that you can push um within that the education system but then sometimes it's not for you so there are other ways around it mm-hmm I 100% agree with that. I think for some people, a BFA and an MFA make a lot of sense. For others, it's a little bit of a different route. I, I went to college uh, and I quit after two years of a three-year program because I, mm. I got hired away. And um, it was in engineering, so nothing to do with what I'm doing as my day job and nothing to do with art. But, you know, I think college, university it doesn't matter. It's an opportunity for us to learn and experience. And I, I tell my daughters, you know, it's what you're doing now may not be what you're doing in 10 years or 20 years and probably not 30 years. So it's, it's all just experience. And it's, it's good that you had that. It's good that you had that opportunity because I don't think um, as many kids do have that opportunity to be able to get through it. And it's good that you explore the illustration. I, I would agree. I thought about that briefly when I was thinking about either college or university, and I just felt it wasn't for me either. And I still don't feel that illustration is necessarily my thing, but uh, it's it's always good to, you know, to look at it, and you always pull something from looking at what other people are doing, right? So, Yeah, definitely. Through this experience and going through college, were you doing stuff on the side for yourself? Were you selling any of your work? So how was, what was Zoe's world like as you were going through this? Because I was still labelled as the arty one, because um, that was what I did in my spare time, from the age of about 
13, I think, people were commissioning me to do artwork. So I had, um, I think the very first one I had was from, uh, you know, outside of family pictures and stuff, was for a girl in my class who did horse riding. So she had her own horse and she had this lovely photo of her jumping. And she asked me if I could paint it. And I did, um, it must have been around uh, 9 by 12 inches, something like that. And it took me about three days and I charged her £10. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't really working out financially for me, but it was really good. <laughs> uh, it was really good as experience um, just to kind of see how that process worked to, you know, you get someone that comes with a request, they've got their image and then you have to kind of piece it all together. So, yeah, from the age of 13, 14, something around there, I started to understand that um the art could make money not very much at that time obviously <laughs> but I slowly increased prices and things and I did work for other people and um that girl came back for more I think I did another two for her they got slightly more expensive uh, <laughs> that's good but, uh, yeah um but then teachers commissioned me as well and um yeah it kind of started to snowball from there um it still didn't I still didn't feel like when I got to the end of college, though, that I could just jump straight into being an artist, despite having that experience of selling work. I still, I think I let the kind of school system and college system tell me that you need to, you know, have more experience or you need to study more or you need to have a qualification to be able to do well. I still let that, you know, seep in a little bit. So... I did test the water and I wasn't 100% sure if I'd be able to make it as a career just painting my own stuff. So, yeah, I had to figure that out. But, um, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, from an early age, I was I was making money from it and exploring that side of it. <laughs> That's awesome. So what did you do after college? You didn't then move into becoming kind of a full-time artist, you? Well, I did, but I was young. So I was... I just turned 18 and I was still living with my mum and I was doing straight out of college I actually got asked to do a mural for my local hospital and they picked me through the college I was sort of referred by a teacher um, and it was a oh we'd love for you to do this and it'd be great for experience you can put it on your CV and you know we haven't got any money for you, basically. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a, uh, it actually occurred to me that I would have to then figure out a way of making money from it. So I actually got some sponsoring for that one. And I did this really big mural. It's all, <laughs> she gave me free reign. So of course I chose Africa and I did an African wildlife <laughs> uh, mural. So um, yeah, that kind of got the ball rolling on, the other side of art that you know there's not just painting a picture or doing illustration there are lots of different avenues you can take with it so I explored that a bit more I did a few more murals for residential properties like bedrooms and um, for kids and stuff and I also did some commercial stuff in like company foyers and things and I enjoyed it but I just wasn't very clued up on the whole business side of things at that age I didn't I should have taken business instead of biology at college I, that is the one thing I regret out of you know all the stuff that's happened through my life that is the one thing that <laughs> I regret 
<laughs> not taking business. But um, I've learned along the way. So, you know, I've picked it up. It's not the end of the world. But it's, yeah, at that age, I just wasn't aware of how I would create any kind of advertising or, you know, put myself out there to get regular income for that sort of thing. So I think I did that for about a year, perhaps. And I actually then ended up getting a part-time job just in retail just to kind of keep me afloat. Um, I mean, my mum was very kind. She did she did try and charge me rent, but then I think actually she just let a lot of it go because I wasn't keeping a, <laughs> it wasn't a, a very um, big amount of money coming in for me at that point. So, yeah, I, did, I, got, I got a little job in retail, but then my big break, if you like, at that age was... Um, I ended up working in the interior design industry. So it was through my cousin, who is an interior designer. She worked for an old firm in the town uh, that I live in, and it was sort of a colleague of hers had moved to this new company. And they were after someone to paint this massive picture that they couldn't get printed anywhere. They couldn't find an image big enough. So she got in touch and said, can you paint this picture for me? You know, we're an interior design company. We do show homes all around the UK and we'd like you to paint this picture. And I thought, yeah, okay, I can do that. So it was a big picture. You know, usually I do animals. I've done a few little bits here and there of other things, but they wanted a black and white painting of Peggy Moffat, who's, a, I think she's a 1950s, 60s um, model. And so it was really big scale. I think it was about 100 centimetres by 120 centimetres. So yeah. I drew it all up, painted it, seemed to go okay, and then took it to them. And they really liked it. They then also had another project with a mural. So I went along and did that with them. And then I got an email a couple of weeks later saying, do you know what? Actually, we like your stuff. You seem pretty nice. Do you want to come and work with us? <laughs> but they're oh, okay. That sounds cool. You know, I'm, I'd rather have a job in something creative than working in retail. And at the moment, I'm just not. I don't feel confident enough to kind of pursue my own business. So I thought that actually makes sense. I'll go along and I'll give it a go. And I worked with them on and off for about I don't know three months or so. And then it came round to Christmas time and they offered me a full-time job so it was a fairly new company and it was still finding its feet but doing really well and I kind of slotted in just to help out and you know help the interior designers put things down onto mood boards like sticking stuff down basically cutting and sticking that was my <laughs> entry level but um, they soon saw that I had a bit more potential and I was uh, creating artwork for them to go into these houses eventually over the years my job uh, role evolved into becoming like the in-house artist and I was creating painting after painting after painting like creating murals on site painting things up like furniture or cut um, MDF cutouts to make the rooms really you know lively and bespoke and um, all come together really well and it was just the perfect job that was the, um, a good mixture of creativity business stuff I had to work on my time management and you know, I just learned so many skills and life skills and stuff through that job and I was with them for about seven years so I had so many cool opportunities working with them it was great wow 
<laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, it's interesting you mentioned the biology versus business because I think uh, a lot of artists overlook the the business side. They just they focus more on the skills and they think, well, if I just I get really good, people mm-hmm. they'll just buy my stuff. Like, why wouldn't they? I'm really good, uh, and it's. Uh, I do think that many artists need to spend more time on the business side, understanding how business works. As you said, time management's also another big thing uh, that impacts us all, regardless of what we do. So it's great that you had seven years of someone. I mean, one way to look at it is, is someone else is footing the bill for, for educating you in an area that, yeah. <laughs> that you take to the next level. You're not there anymore. Um, no. So what, what made you leave? So I actually got to the point where the company had grown enormously in the seven years that I was there. And I was at that point the creative manager. So I had about three artists that I kind of looked after. Um, and there were show homes going out every week. So the, dem- like, the demand of work that we had to do was, was quite high. And I had a three-year-old at that point I think and juggling the whole family life uh, I worked four days a week so my fifth day I was looking after my son and trying to do commissions on the side and the demand of the job just got to the point where I was finding it difficult to be creative it just felt like it was a bit of a slog like I had to get keep meeting these deadlines and the challenge for me was that I wasn't feeling fulfilled in my creativity despite painting pretty much daily my creativity was just not being satisfied because it was constantly we need to, you to paint this and it needs to be done by then and it, it was always a rush like you just you've got to keep up you like just about keeping your head above water like painting as rapidly as possible and just the whole job in general I loved it so much but I just found it got to the point where my mental health was actually suffering I was finding myself feeling really anxious really overwhelmed by the whole thing and my creativity not being satisfied as I've said before like through my childhood and you know all the way through that's been my thing like I've always found a way of being creative in whatever situation I'm in so to be in amongst a uh, workplace where I was being creative you know with inverted commas but still wasn't feeling like I was satisfying that need was really hard for me to get my head around because I was just like I'm doing the thing that I want to be doing but I'm not feeling happy about it anymore and so I I found the whole situation just got too much and I had to go to my um, my manager and just say that I've got to the point where I just can't do it anymore I tried to cut down on hours or maybe drop down from the uh, management role. And that just still wasn't doing it. I just had to break off entirely. And I had to say that, I'm sorry, I can't, I just can't do it. I've got to take a step back. I've got to reevaluate my whole creative creative side and find what works for me and find the happiness in it again. And uh, they were they were really understanding. They were obviously gutted that I was that I had to leave quite abruptly. But um, I worked my notice and got through that last little bit. But it's quite like even talking about it now, it kind of brings up those same emotions of feeling like oh, I'm trapped. 
hooked. I can't get out of this. It's just never ending. And so, yeah, I had to stop it there and have a fresh start. And I went to work for myself. I thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for me to give it a try. Because people are asking me, saying, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to have to get another job? This is probably, you know, like the ideal job for you. What are you going to go and do? And I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. If it doesn't work out, I can do something else. But three years down the line, I haven't looked back. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you and inspired by your courage to be able to walk away from something like that and follow what you probably should be doing. And it's hard to do that. And, you know, some people do it too soon without having the ability or the safety net or whatever the case to be able to do that kind of thing. But it's it's good that you've discovered that and saved yourself some anxiety and some other mental health issues and trying to get away from it. And uh, it's tough. It is really tough. So I'm, uh, I'm impressed. Hats off to you for doing that and being three years into it. And, you know, when you look at your Instagram, it is just, it's filled with animals and it's filled with joy and everything that you do. So it's wonderful. So Zoe, as you're working through, you know, moving from, you know, college to, um, to working with this design company and then on your own, how important has the network around you been? I mean, early on, we rely on our parents and, and maybe some of our friends to provide that network. Um, how has that evolved over time? And, and how has the network around you allowed you to kind of uh, become this wonderful artist that you are today? Uh, so as I said before, my, my family has always been very um, supportive of what I've liked to do. You know, they've, they've always known me as the creative one and they've never any barriers up for me to pursue an artistic career so I've been very blessed in that way but when I met my partner Toby he actually provided me with the financial stability to take that leap so although I I had kind of reached my limit with the um, interior design company I would have had to carry on if it wasn't for that financial support to jump out and you know give it a go on my own and not really knowing how much I'd be able to make so he's been crucial financially but also supporting me um and just that he's been he's been one of my biggest critics so he'll kind of pop over my shoulder and be like oh have you finished that bit yet which as an artist (laughs) I'm like oh no stop it but then every single time I'll look at it again I'm like oh yeah he's right (laughs) so yeah he's he's um he's one of my biggest cheerleaders really plugs me to everybody so I think yeah I definitely wouldn't be where I am now without him. Yeah, we really need um, people in our corner, whether they uh, live in the same house as us or uh, they're artists in the same city or we're on the same online network. But having those people around you is so, so important. And as you said, being able to lean on people when you transition financially can be really tough. So I'm glad you're able to find find that and help you to, to move to where you are today. I do think, though, you talk about Africa. Are, are you living on the right continent? <laughs> mm, no I'm not and I still haven't been oh it's on my list and I've um I've kind of set out this year to make things happen so uh I've been like ticking things off my list and I'm working towards going on a safari for sure <laughs> so you're three years into this working on your own uh so are you you're working on your own pieces are you are you doing commissions as well I am at the moment yeah I'm still in that transition so I started off taking predominantly commissions and they're mostly pet portraits because 
I personally find that is the easiest way in to mm-hmm. working on your own. So although it's still someone giving you their image, you know, their dog, their their inspiration, and you have to kind of find the creativity in that, it was still a lot less stressful and I still found joy in that. So I was okay with that to start off with. But as um, as time's gone on, I've found that I just don't get as much enjoyment out of those as I did. And I have, my passion is, is uh, you can probably see from my Instagram is um, African wildlife predominantly, but I just love wild animals. So even think, you know, like the big cats from around the world, jaguars and like, they're still, they're still up there. So <laughs> I think at the moment I have commissions in the diary, but I am slowly fading them out. So any others that I'll take on that are pets would be return customers that have, you know, they've asked for something else. So I probably will honour those, but then my waiting list is, its I mean, it's quite long, but I think most of them are pet portraits. So I'm going to have to, I think I'll recommend other artists that are still doing commissions, I think, for those, because it's just, I don't want to say no to people, but at the same time, I, I'm going to have to because I can't do commissioned pet portraits forever. I, I'm trying to immerse myself in the whole wildlife um, artwork and the conservation stuff as well. So that is where I'm headed. Yeah, I've, I've heard of so many artists uh, that do pet portraits. And I'm, I'm wondering for your pet portraits, are they kind of celebrations of, you know, typically, generally, are they celebrations of the pets as they were? So are you doing memorial pieces or is it? Some of them. Yeah, some of them. Are. I think it's 50-50 because everyone loves their pets, don't they? Like, you're not going to get <laughs> someone that has a pet that doesn't think they're the best. So <laughs> I get a lot of people that just, you know, they adore their pet and they get a nice photo of them and then send it through and I'll draw that. And, you know, the, the pet's still alive and well. But then the other 50% would be, yeah, those lovely um, memorial pieces that you get just to capture all those nice memories. Yeah, I've, I had an artist on who's a tattoo artist, and much of the work he does in Asia are people who've passed. And, okay. uh, you know, I can understand that struggle sometimes, uh, you know, regardless of what you're doing, where you're doing memorial pieces, and it feels like there's more emotion, more, I don't know, there's more power behind it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you, do you feel that if you do, if you know you're doing a piece that's a memorial piece, that okay, I really, I have to get this one right <laughs> versus, uh, you know, here's my, my pet cat and I just, I, I really love it so much and I just want to have a picture of it versus I want to celebrate its life. Do you feel, do you, um, do, how, how much do you get into the pieces? I, I mean, I immerse myself into every one. So I, you know, you spend so many hours staring at this dog or cat <laughs> or whatever it is, you kind of become attached to them. But I actually find that the Drawings of the animals that are still alive are actually harder to do than the ones that have passed because when an animal's passed, we only have our memories of them and any photos or videos that are around still. So it's just capturing those really lovely memories that you see the picture and you think, oh yeah, that is, you know, that's my, my, you know, whatever they are, dog, cat, horse. And it just brings back all of those lovely memories. So I actually find the ones where they're still alive the hardest because you could actually hold up the drawing against the animal and you think, oh, actually, no, that, that marking's not quite right. It's not high enough. Or, you know, like there's, you can compare the two, whereas 
the memorial ones are they're just there to capture all those really nice memories so it's you're really only running on your own memory of the pet and you know any footage that you have of of them but yeah I think like you said the the emotion on that that does go into them sometimes I I have the loveliest clients and when it's a when it's a memorial piece and you see through their messages their replies back to um, any updates and things you can see that they're just finding the whole process really emotional so yeah it can be it can be really sort of heartwarming to to give them that piece of artwork that's you know brings up all those lovely emotions for them and captures it that's wonderful I didn't think about that, but you're right. People comparing the existing <laughs> artwork with the existing pet. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good point. So through your career uh, and working with, you know, the design company for seven years and then, sorry, on your own for three years, what mediums have you worked with? What have you explored? Hmm. What have you... Uh... So I started off when I was younger. I just, I always painted. So I think my mum was, always very um firm with me that if I was painting in my room I couldn't get any on the carpet so I've always been a very tidy painter but I started (laughs) off with acrylics and I just loved them because they dry quickly I like to be able to create things at quite a reasonable pace I think I've always done that so actually working with the interior design company and working quickly wasn't new to me because that's actually how I quite like to work so yeah, acrylics to start with. I did dabble a little bit in uh, graphite drawing when I was younger as well, but wasn't so keen on that. Um, I actually found coloured pencils when I discovered um, Instagram. I had Instagram personally for a little while, but then I don't know what happened or what made me think of it, but I just, like something just came to me and I thought, I wonder if there is artwork on Instagram as well. Like, you know, you get the little bubbles of who, the people that you follow. And I was just, you know, following friends and family. But I thought, I wonder if this app's actually got artwork in it. And I, I started searching and, oh, my goodness, I was like, wow, there are <laughs> artists on here. And I found a couple of um, UK wildlife artists on there that I'm actually, you know, I've spoken to. I've, um, I've connected with them. They're really lovely. But they, they were working on colour pencil drawings of animals on the Fabriano paper that I work on so I think because they were the first ones that I found so it was um, Jessica Lennox and Danielle Fisher and something about their work was just like yes that is exactly what I want to be doing and I had been painting in the past I've been doing commissions um, with my son I found it a bit tricky to kind of pick up put down the paint because you know start painting and two seconds later you've got to go change a nappy or you know build a tower and stuff like that so (laughs) I found the painting was quite tricky with um a child so I was after something that was a bit more flexible you know I could just do a little bit here and there I wasn't wasting anything and when I found that these artists were doing colored pencil work I immediately found whatever colored pencils I had in my house you know, I don't know if most artists are like this, but you've got cupboards everywhere that are just full of random things, <laughs> random art supplies. Uh-huh. Um, so I dug out some coloured pencils, which I hadn't really used before, not for drawing, only for like, colouring in a colouring book. And I found the best paper that I had in the house. 
and I gave it a go I think with oh it's my cousin's dog so she has a jug which is a Jack Russell cross with a pug I think so he's pretty cute I think that's what he is maybe he's a chihuahua version I can't remember but anyway so I drew his face because he's got a really sweet little face and I looking back on it now I mean it was okay as a drawing but the techniques and stuff that I was using was so you know I was just making it up as I went along so um I I gave it a go but I absolutely loved it I got the bug for it I thought oh I need to make this better what can I do now that's going to challenge me and then I found a picture of a ram I think that I'd taken from a nearby farm so it was this you know big fuzzy fleece and then the textured horns and that was difficult because you know that's two really tricky textures all in one go um and Again, I loved doing it. I just loved the process of figuring it all out. And I think after I'd done those two, I think there may have been one more piece that I was kind of experimenting with. I was posting stuff up online. And from that point, I got people saying, oh, you're drawing. Can I? Can you draw my dog? And so it kind of went from there. I just ended up doing any commission in the colour pencils. And I just figured it out. So the first few were a bit, you know, questionable. But <laughs> I think I made them work. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just it went from there, really. So I've been painting as well on and off. I, I, I didn't like to leave painting behind entirely, but I think predominantly now I use coloured pencil just because they're easier. But then I have found ways around painting now that is easier to pick up and put down. Now that I've got two children, I've got you know, a stay wet palette and, you know, I've figured it all out now. <laughs> but in the early days, it was a bit tricky. <laughs> My last guest, uh, she was talking about dealing with her uh, children and uh, that she carried an iPad around with her because, you know, I guess fairly recent that she was using Procreate for that reason because mm-hmm. you could just turn it on and turn it off. And you're right with colored pencil. You don't have to worry about the water and the cleanup and everything else. It's the medium's always the same. Uh, so that's... Uh, yeah, they're much easier. Yeah. Have you stayed with the same colored pencil? Did you upgrade your pencils? Um uh, so after finding the, I think there were some, you know, mid-range pencils that I had in the house, I then went to look for the best. So I found most artists were using the Faber-Castell Polychromos. So I got the full set of those. And then I think I just used those on their own for a while. And then I started to use the Carandash Luminance pencils because I discovered those through Instagram as well. So um, added some of those to my collection and then also some Karen Dash Pablos as well. I have a few of those. But yeah, initially I I just went out. I, I, you know, I did a bit of research and I thought if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it properly. So I need to get some good pencils. <laughs> so, I mean, it was quite a lot of money at the time to go and buy an entire set of pencils. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, I bit, bit the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... Yeah, I went for it with the expensive ones, but I was so pleased that I did because having the better quality materials meant that I could really push myself to see how how good I could get with them. Yeah, I would agree. I think I spent a lot of time recently with watercolor paints. I, there's a difference between cheap paint and good paint, but I feel like it's more exaggerated with colored pencil. Um, I use the Polychromos and I'd used uh, another brand previous to that. And when I, the you know, the, they were wax based, not oil based. And so the leads kept breaking and it was just, it was not a pleasant experience with them. 
And I felt like it was great at the time until I tried the polychromos. And it was like, what have I been doing to myself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are on a different level, aren't they? When you've been using cheaper brands, so you start using them, they're like the best thing ever. So they're really firm, but they're also smooth as well. I don't know. Yeah, they're always my go-to. I mean, I like the other brands, the Luminous and the Pablos are good, but I always come back to the polychromos. Yeah, the Karen Dash I'd like to try at some point. Um, they're not cheap, and, and maybe I'm I'm happy they're not available in stores here as readily as, as the Faber-Castell. Because as you say, part of being an artist is being an art tool and supply collector. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the sketchbooks, it's the pencils, it's the erasers, <laughs> it's the sharpeners, it's, it's everything, right? Yeah. So with your uh, colored pencil work, is there a type of paper? Because I've seen you talk about watercolor paper like what are you using for your uh, paper when you're doing the colored pencil work so i use um it's fabriano artistico hot pressed watercolor paper so it's really smooth but it has quite a lot of tooth so when i'm working in colored pencil i have the ability to layer up like i could put about 12 to 20 layers on it if i needed to like wow. I work really gently. If you press hard, then you, you ain't going to get that too. But <laughs> I work really gradually, so it, you can layer it up really well. And are you using any kind of uh, blender uh, liquid or blender tool? Or are you just, um, you know, it's it's color on color kind of thing? Yeah, no, I just use the colors themselves. So I think mixing in the luminance does help on a particularly tricky color. I don't know. It's a, I think because I build the layers up so gradually they start to blend themselves and then I quite often I use I personally call it a tonal layer just something I made up I don't know it's not (laughs) a professional term (laughs) so I've been building up the layers and then I'll use a quite a light color usually a neutral one to then go over the top to start bringing them all together and blend them together and just adjust the tone so it might be the cooler side it might be the warmer side and it just starts to blend. So then when you add on top of that again, it just starts to bring all those colors together and you lose the tooth underneath. You don't see any of the paper at all. Can I ask you a silly question? What colors do you go through the most? Oh, it'll just be my standard. So the um, the warm gray one and the cold gray one and the ivory are my bases. So I use them underneath everything. So, you know, ivory be for the lighter colors, the warm grey for the warmer tones and the cold grey for the cooler tones. Then I just pick out from the reference where it's headed and then pick out those. And the other one would be dark sepia. It's used in pretty much every drawing. Nice. I've been going through a lot of ivory when I was using the colored pencils, and I felt like I don't know if I'm. I just it was nice to. He- it's nice to hear that other people go through yeah. certain pencils as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the Fabriano hot press is your choice. Uh, mm-hmm. It's. Have you tried others? Is it just because you found the one that you like? So I started that one, I started with that one initially and I just found it worked for me. So I didn't really feel the need to try anything else. The only thing I have swapped between is the weight. So for most of my drawings, I'll work on the 300, so the slightly lighter one. But for some things, I will use the 640. So it's a, you know, it's a bit heavier, but I actually find that one harder to work with because it's spongy. It's got a bit more give to it so I find that one can't take as many layers from the way I work it gives but it'll start to um, spoil and fray so I can't use that one as much I prefer the other one see 
every time I speak to an artist, they mention something I haven't tried. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm probably going to pop into a store and get some of that 640 just to try it. <laughs> just to try it. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it depends entirely on the technique. So I see artists use the 640 and they'll layer it up and, you know, keep going, keep going. And they'll press mm-hmm. quite hard and it doesn't seem to spoil for them. So I don't know what I'm doing, whether it's the motion I use with my pencil or the combination of the two different brands and the way that I layer them, I have no idea. But sometimes I will get through a whole drawing and then that last little bit, I will ruin it because I've pressed too, I've put too many layers on and it's made it fray. And I, as a perfectionist, I cannot deal with that. that is, the whole thing is then ruined. I have to say, I love, you know, 300 GSM is, I think, the minimum for me, unless I'm doing a graphite piece on Bristol. But the rest of it, it has to be 300 GSM. It has to be that kind of nice, beautiful, thick, whether it's a, you know cold press for watercolor or hot press for everything else. It is wonderful paper to work on. When you're dealing with colored pencil, are you mindful of indenting the paper? Like you, you're a real light touch, so you don't worry too much about that? Or Yeah, I don't really find my pencils indent too much. Unless I'm, okay. if I was using white and I was trying to purposefully indent the whiskers or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, otherwise it barely makes an impression. We've talked about Africa and the animals. Uh, that's your big inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, beautiful, beautiful pieces. Are you, when you're working on, you know, the big cats and the buffalo and all that, are you, where do you start? Do you start with the eye? Oh yeah, I love, I love the eyes. I always get the eyes in first just because I feel like if I can't get them right, then there's not much point continuing because I want the piece to look real enough for people to connect with it. So if the eyes don't make you feel like you're actually looking at a real animal, then I haven't done my job properly. That's not what I intended to do with the piece. So yeah, I like to get them in first and then just go from there because I find that's the most important part for me. And we're going to get into the acrylics, um, so we'll save the some of the pieces for that. But when it comes to the colored pencil, is there is there a size that you like to work with? Is there a focus? Like what? How big have you gone? What is your comfortable zone as a matter of size of image? Size for me is something I like to play around with more than my kind of technique, if you like. So you know how some artists are like. Um, they will play around with different mediums. I like to play around with different sizes. So to mix it up a little bit, like my my style and technique stays pretty much the same. But to challenge myself, I'll go really big or really small. Um, I don't like staying in that middle ground too much. I'll do them for commissions, but the kind of 9 by 12, 12 by 16 sizes are my commission sizes. So when I do my own work, I like to go like full scale, like the whole animal size or bigger or I'll go really teeny tiny and test myself with something that's super small. And speaking of small let's spend some time on these miniatures because um, <laughs> these are all done in colored pencil Yeah. and on the Fabriano hot press. Yeah the hot press 640 though because they're so tiny I did do one on the 300 but it just seemed a bit flimsy so I've, I've gone up to the 640 for these. Okay, so that's another reason I need to get 640 if I want to do miniatures. <laughs> yeah, you want to get it for those. <laughs> so I'm looking at these. You've done 25 of 100? Yes, 25 so okay. far. And do you have the other 75 planned or are you still? 
more or less, yeah. So I spent quite a lot of time, like the drawings themselves do take, you know, a few hours um, depending on what they are, but the actual time for this project has gone into all the research. So I've done so many days of research, finding out all of the animals that I want to include, whether they're vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, like looking into all of the different species groups. Like I've got um, the big cats, I've got the elephants, I've got the rhinos, I've got the primates, I've got the marine life, you know, the birds. It's just, I've tried to cover all areas to make it a real uh, diverse mix and make it quite an interesting collection. So there's been a lot of research. So I have, um, I've pretty much got the whole 100. I might tweak one or two here and there as I find out about different species. I'm like, oh, actually, I haven't found out about them yet. I'm going to include them. So I might swap out something like, I don't know, I've got quite a lot of primates. So there might be one that is vulnerable, but this other animal is, you know, endangered or critically endangered. So I might jiggle it around a little bit. So I have the, the list set out and then I've drawn up I think another 30 to 40 and I'm still in the process of collecting up the references and just making sure that the whole collection is quite cohesive because I am I do intend to sell them individually but for me the whole collection is a piece of art in its own right like I want them to all work together. They are brilliant. As I said I've been following you for a while then I started seeing you doing these and then you do a little flip through through them and I was like <sighs> This is, I have to try doing a really tiny drawing. I've done small drawings, but uh, nothing really tiny. And I'm doing a lot of sketching in my sketchbook, watercolor and ink and that kind of stuff. And uh, I've, I've, I bought the big polychromos set and I haven't played with it in a couple of months. I'm thinking, ah, I got to try this. And I have to say, like, out of the 25, there's three that have really stood out for me uh, the whale shark, mm-hmm. the ostrich. Because, you know, it's an ostrich, they're cute. (laughs) And the walrus. Uh, I just find the way you did the walrus was just brilliant. Uh, It really popped out. Maybe it's because the last, it's the last one in your little flip through, but. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were so fun. I mean, all of them have been interesting in their own way, because there's so many species that I've not actually had the chance to do yet, which is kind of why I wanted to do the project in the first place. And, you know, as a wildlife artist, there's just so much out there to choose from in terms of what species we work on and I was getting this like itch to work on something that you know would let me have a go at all of these different species without taking months at a time you know like you've got to plan your diary out and you've got oh, this picture is going to take three weeks and then this one's going to take four weeks and you know, whatever it's going to be so I thought of if I condense them down and work on something small so they're I think they're uh, one and a half inches by one and three quarter inches so they're they're pretty teeny but it's just given me that opportunity to work on things that I wouldn't necessarily have done because I don't know if I would have drawn an, uh, a walrus in full size or as a big piece I'm not sure if that would be one that I'd focus on but yeah having the chance to do it really small and like you say it does, it does pop out because they're quite um very unique animals aren't they so it's, mm-hmm. yeah it's been really fun to have a go at, at all these different species and it's actually given me some that I would love to then go on to make a bigger piece of so it's quite it's quite good in that aspect as well yeah I think I did I see a cape buffalo in one of those or there it's, so that is actually an I think it's an Asian wild water buffalo so they're slightly okay. different species the cape buffalo I think are stable but yeah that's the Asian equivalent, the wild water one. 
Okay. Well, see, yeah. I just learned something. <laughs> yeah. And the ostrich as well, actually, I must point out, because some people might look up ostrich and think, well, hang on a minute, they're common ostriches. They are not endangered. But that particular species is the Somali ostrich, and they have a sort of a blue tint to their feathers on their neck and their head. And they are, I believe, in, I believe they're endangered. I might be wrong. They might be vulnerable, but they're one of those two things. So they're, they're a species that are in a bit of trouble. So with these 25 of 100 that you've done, when you come to the to the end and you produce the 100 pieces, are you going to be, you know, from a business perspective, are you going to be selling those individually? Are you going to be doing prints? Are you going to be compiling these in a in a 100 image piece? So what is the business side of you telling you around how you're going to, to sell these? So I have so far um, come up with a few different things that I'm going to do with them. So individually, the drawings themselves are going to be framed into a six by eight aluminium frame. They're float mounted and then it's got handwritten uh, name of the animal, their conservation status and then a signature underneath. So as a piece of artwork, you know, it's small, but it still has quite a big impact because, you know, from the teeny tiny drawing, it then has this border around it. So they will be sold uh, individually, uh, beautifully gift box up and everything with the certificates and things. I'm going to be then making uh, a little fact file, if you like, <laughs> go back to the <laughs> childhood route. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and I will have the image of the animal at the top of this card with uh, a bit more information about them. So, you know, just list enough maybe where they live, their diet, you know, all that stuff that goes back to that fact file. Absolutely. But so that will be part of the whole package from every single one, a donation. I haven't finalized the donation, but it's quite a hefty chunk of each one sold. will go to a charity that is specifically looking after that animal or that group of animals. So a few of them I've kind of already earmarked off to projects that I work with. So there's the Africa cat project that I've worked with before. So I've got the cheetah, the leopard and the lion going to them. And then there are, quite a big variety of African wildlife species that will be going to the Africa Wildlife Art Project that is very new, it's quite a recent one, it's just launching um, within the next couple of months, I think. Uh, so they work with four big charities through Africa that focus on, you know, the, the big cats and things, the uh, marine life, the, the turtles and the whales and things, and the sharks, and then you've got the big super tuskers which i've um only just heard about they're the male elephants with the giant tusks so that each tusk weighs i think it's 45 kilograms each and there's only about wow. 24 of them left in the world so yeah it's fine like you go down these rabbit holes and you find out all of this information it's so fascinating but yeah so each one will have a donation for each uh specific species which means that there's quite a lot more research to do because i need to find relevant species projects that's running to donate that to them and then alongside that i will have these little fact file cards that i think i will then group together and that could be bought separately so you could buy a pack of cards and you've got the little fact file with the image of each drawing at the top so that'll be kind of a, a separate little gift that might be a bit more yeah fun rather than it just being a piece of artwork and then there are there's a potential to do other things with it as well like you said the uh, you know like a poster of all of the images together yeah, people have been throwing ideas at me, which is great, actually, because <laughs> I find I work really well bouncing ideas off of other artists. So I 
I chat to loads of artists through uh, social media and I like to meet up with them as well. Just that uh, kind of community aspect is amazing, but also bouncing ideas off of each other is great. So I might add that one to the list. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's the thing is you may, like, how do you take this idea, this passion project, and you turn it in and monetize it, right? And I think mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like you've got that well in hand. So, But it's it's hard when you're thinking, you know, one by two inch piece, how do you mm-hmm. turn that into something? Because, you know, you can't sell that necessarily for $2,000, right? So it's yeah. how do you convert that into something that helps to sustain you as an artist so you can do more of this and bring more attention to these animals, right? So that's yeah. brilliant. I think that's as well part of the project is that I'm I'm not going to release them until the end. I did think about like selling them off one here, one there, but I thought actually it's going to make more of an impact as an entire collection that you know you have the lead up to it and you can build the momentum. And in terms of the business side of things, I am learning on the go all the time. I'm making mistakes left, right, and centre, and then just figuring out what I did wrong and trying to rectify it and do it better next time. So. It's definitely, it's just such a learning process. And I just hope that building the momentum up with this and, you know, getting some of the conservation projects on board as well and individuals to help kind of, you know, spread the word that the main goal for this project is to uh, raise awareness and raise the funds for the individual charities. But then obviously, you know, going to be months of work so there has to be something that comes back to me so figuring out the you know the price points for things the separate products that can be produced and all of that is yeah it's hard to get my head around it sometimes but like I say it's a learning process so learning on the go yeah and I think as artists we have to be kind to ourselves because there may be days where we have to spend 80% of the day not painting or drawing Mm -hmm. uh, because we're running a business and it's important to tend to the other bits with the emails and the marketing yeah. ideas and all that stuff too, right? Yeah. yeah, that does take up the time. But um, I try to balance out as much as possible wherever I can. <laughs> Your work focuses so much on conservation and you have these connections with all these organizations. I want to explore that a bit and then maybe we'll come back to acrylics because, you know, what I get from you is is your work inspires me to be a better artist, right? So I'm looking at your pieces and I'm, I, I love wildlife as well. And uh, now I want to explore colored pencils. So if you see me posting on Instagram little tiny drawings, yeah. it's because of Zoe. But I think that your work with conservation inspires us to be better people. And so I, I want to talk through about how important is conservation in what you do and what you create in supporting this and are you looking at your pieces? Because it does sound like when you're working on these 25 pieces that you're, and you said it, you're focused on animals that need attention. So how important has conservation been for your creative practice? It's been something that's been on, you know, the front of my mind for quite a while. I touched on it a little bit when I was talking about my childhood of this fact file. And, you know, I've, I've kind of always had that as a way of looking at wildlife. So in this fact file, you know, it gave you their diet and their habitat and all of that sort of information, but it also touched on their conservation status. So I've always been aware from quite a young age that wildlife is actually in trouble, that some species are are becoming endangered because of things we're doing. And so if I can make any small impression or impact in any way to help people realise that, um, then that is what I want to my artistic 
career to be centered around because the creativity side of it for me is just looking at these amazingly beautiful animals and trying to create them as realistically as I can um but then to kind of push that further I want to use those skills and the platform that I've built to put some of the animals that are endangered or you know vulnerable critically endangered whatever they are in front of people so they can see oh actually I didn't realize that like um there are so many species on that list that I'm going to work through that I didn't know were endangered or vulnerable and I think half of them people might not have even heard of so to have the opportunity to share that side of it alongside my art is just something I'm so passionate about and yeah I I can't see any other way of me working like even with my pet portraits I'll donate um, a portion to uh, Dogs Trust um, which is a charity in the UK so just you know animal welfare in general is just something that I'm super passionate about. That's wonderful I think giving these um, animals an opportunity through through art and being able to feed that back is is brilliant and so you do give a percentage that proceeds for your work for different charities depending on I guess the work and yeah so I try to connect with um with organizations directly so I have a few that I've worked with in the past so they tend to be relevant to the actual piece of artwork so that if I painted an or drawn an elephant then I would donate to an elephant charity and you know same goes with all the others so yeah, I try to keep it relevant so that the money then goes back into helping that particular animal. I wanted to get to the conservation component as quickly as we could. <laughs> so, because I think that's that's wonderful. You have so many artists that are supporting human kind of challenges around the world. And it's also good to have that balance of artists supporting the environment, the wildlife. It's it's brilliant. We all need to be doing more. And I think this is a fantastic way to be doing it. And it, it feels it feels good. It feels good to see you doing it and it feels good to be doing it. So that's, uh, yeah, that's I wonderful. Mean, anyway, it doesn't have to be through money. It's just the raising awareness side of it is mm-hmm. just as crucial because there are, there are loads of different organizations that uh, artists could uh, get in touch with and kind of add that art element to. I've spoken a bit on my, so on my Instagram, I tried to do little interviews with other artists and conservationists and things to kind of pair the two up together and there's a conservationist that I speak to I'm actually speaking to her tomorrow so um, that'd be your listeners could always tune into that one um but she so her name's Isabel Mandel and she is a conservationist who works with bats and um other primates and she's just been on a trip to Madagascar so I'm going to speak I'm going to be speaking to her about how that kind of ties in um to what an artist can provide to a conservationist and the projects and things so i'm trying to marry the two up and make it more obvious for other artists as well it's like you have this artistic skill these are the people that would help you to uh you know get in touch with the wildlife conservation projects or you know the uh, the different research projects that are going on and you can use your art to help them raise awareness and raise funds and things like that. So it can be it can be an individual basis. It doesn't necessarily have to be through, you know, the wildlife con- 
competitions and stuff like that. There are other routes. So I'm just trying, I'm figuring, I'm figuring them out for myself. And then I'm trying to share that experience with others so that, you know, there's a lot of information out there that people can uh, tap into. Your love, your focus is, is obviously um, Africa and, you know, other animals around the world as well. But, you know, I think for the artists listening, if you're in a situation where maybe you're where I am, where we have none, <laughs> it's to yeah. this level. But even understanding that, you know, frogs and turtles and now uh, the bumblebee in Ontario are threatened, that there's an opportunity to highlight these animals through your artwork and support kind of initiatives to, to ensure that they're protected and um, that they continue do, doing their job they're doing, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because quite often the projects that are running that are doing the scientific research and, the, you know, that, the, the people that are actually on the ground um, doing the work they're not necessarily very creative minded like they're focused more on the science side you know obviously there are people that can do both but predominantly those the people that are into the the research are very science-based so then to pair up with an artist who can offer that creative side is a really good match because then i think it's a lot stronger to have a message with an image and quite often people relate more to an artwork than to a photograph obviously photography is absolutely amazing but when it's focusing on something like you know a difficult issue where there are animals being hunted or they're being mistreated and you get a photograph of that people quite often will just turn off because it's just not you know you don't want to see that but when it's a beautiful photograph or a beautiful piece of artwork people are drawn to it but then you have that message as well that you can you can have behind it of you know this is an amazing animal but you need to look after it and this is you know how how you can do that i agree i think i work in health research during the day and i think the scientists and researchers need to do more in working with creatives to tell their mm-hmm. story uh, i have a friend of mine who has an organization um called art the science art the science which i think is a really great term and so I, I really like what you're talking about and that is working with the researchers to help document to help share what they're working on, something they could possibly use in a publication, but then the sale of the original or the prints can help fund maybe something in the future as well. So that's yeah. a really good point. It doesn't have to be the World Wildlife Fund. It could be a researcher working yeah, with yeah. narwhals up north or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever species kind of you're interested in, there will be some sort of organization or research project or something that is going on so it's just like social media is really good for finding those as well so you can just you know you can either type in on google or have a look for an organization through social media and i'm sure you'll find something just get in touch and they'd um i'm sure they'd be happy to to see what you have to say it takes a lot of commitment to to move to maybe a species that you're enamored with but may not sell well because it's not cute (laughs) yeah that's such a tricky side of it but um I think it's all about we've got to break down some of the barriers haven't we because for so long it's been um big cats elephants maybe some of the bigger apes and and like the fierce but cute animals like the bears and the wolves and things like that they're they're animals that sell aren't they but then there are so many animals that are in need of that awareness so it's creating artwork that is visually stunning but of an animal that's not necessarily that beautiful (laughs) (laughs) i've run across that i took a little self-imposed artist retreat for a week where i kind of focused on myself and 
and getting back in touch with my creativity. So I took my a week off work and I spent the time doing that. And I started doing a little thing I called bugs in coffee. So I would go to a coffee shop and draw a bug. And some of them got traction. A lot of them got less traction because I don't think people like seeing insects. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where I just, I love the complexity of the insect shape. And I think we we often overlook them because they're underfoot, they're under leaf, yeah. <laughs> they're hidden in the dark crevices, but they're so important to our ecosystem and the structures. And we'll talk about the structure and, and dealing with, with textures and horns and things like that in a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, trying to manage all these textures in a way that tells the story of this animal is is incredible. So yeah, it's, you know, you can choose the cute things, but it's staying true to what speaks to you is is also important as being an, in being an artist as well yeah definitely i think quite often people get sucked into that the never-ending loop of commissions um so i know a lot of artists that do the pet portraits but they're they're really keen to break out of that and and do what they're most passionate about but it's then that breakout and doing your own thing is is the hardest bit i think once you're through that once you've jumped over that hurdle then you're away <laughs> exactly the, uh, is, is there a favorite animal you like to do? I can never choose just one, but if I, whenever I'm asked that question, it's always zebra, because they're my favorite, and wild dogs, and then the big cats. I could never say no to the big cats. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone wanted a commission of a big cat or yeah, a zebra yeah, or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I want to talk about acrylics, mm-hmm. because you've talked about doing some in the past, and we need to maybe talk about this Cape Buffalo <laughs> because you've posted a, b- a few bits on Instagram and I feel like maybe we need a session around this to explore it a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit more. <laughs> oh, if I was in an open studio with, you know, with other artists around me, they would be getting an earful all the time of this, this blooming horn. That I cannot <laughs> get right. I think I'm on layer, I don't know, 30 or something of trying to get this texture right on this horn, but it's, very unfamiliar to me in acrylic if I was drawing it I think I'd have cracked it by now because I'm a bit more confident with my skills and technique with color pencils but with acrylic I'm still I'm still figuring out how they work best for me and how I create certain textures so this is the first time I've ever painted a horn like texture as it's really rough you know there's cracks all over it it changes the um like the angle the dimensions the way the light hits it it's all over the place it's like the hardest thing i've ever tried to do in acrylic paint to give people perspective this is a, a cape buffalo portrait that you're doing yeah and what's the size the overall size so the canvas is a meter by a meter so the buffalo horn is probably about 60 centimeters long <laughs> so there's a pretty big chunk of it so there's a lot of opportunity there to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or to learn. To learn and fix. Yeah. yeah. I should I should be kinder, but it's I, I I'm I'm grinning about this and I'm laughing about it because I've struggled so much with different textures that mm-hmm. I I'm I'm doing it in a way that's like, oh, it's so good to hear another artist talking about this because yeah, that definitely. it it's like when you looked at this piece before you started, did you think mm-hmm. Oh, the horn or did did you figure oh I could I got this no so this piece I actually started a couple of years ago so when I first went full-time uh, after leaving my job in the interior design uh, uh, industry 
-hmm. I set out to do these five big one meter by one meter paintings of Africa's big five. So you've got the leopard, the lion, the rhino, the elephant and the cake buffalo. I don't know if that's still a thing anymore, but you know, you know, they're a set, aren't they? So I have done the leopard, the fur, you know, on a large scale. So there were some new things to learn on that one. But I, I did that one relatively easily. Then I started on the cake buffalo and I focused on the eye and the nose, which I don't know if you've seen there's a photo of that recently of the nose. It's got all the little water droplets yes. on it. So that was a, another new texture. But <laughs> I think, I don't know if I was in the flow of it a bit more then. I'd really cracked my techniques and how I was using the paints and things. But I seem to get those two things in at the start. I then hit a point within that first year of thinking, I am not making enough. I'm not bringing enough money in here. So I need to just pause these wildlife pieces for now. And I need to crack on with some commissions to bring in a bit more of a you know regular income. And then two years went by and I filled up my diary with uh, pet portraits back to back. And I was barely getting any time to do any painting. The only thing I was doing wildlife wise was drawings. So I was just uh, in the colour pencil still. But at the beginning of this year, I said to myself that you are the only one that is filling up your diary with pet portraits because, you know, you're the boss and you're you're doing all of this to fit them in. So I'm the only one that's going to be able to flip that around. So this year I've kind of taken a bit of a knock uh, income-wise because sometimes, you know, finances are a bit tricky to talk about with being an artist. You know, you can't be the starving artist. It's like, shh not allowed we make lots of money these days don't we but I actually this this year I've done the bare minimum of pet portraits to just scrape by and then I've tried to put as much time and effort into my wildlife stuff as possible so you know scraping the bottom of the barrel here but I am determined to get this done so I've picked it up nearly three years later and I'm getting back into it so to look back at those areas where I have uh, completed like the nose the eye some of the fur and things and then I'm trying to tackle this horn which is completely unfamiliar and I'm not as fluent with my um, techniques and my brush strokes and all of that as I was when I started it so to get my head back into it and be with a completely unfamiliar texture has just been I think that's what's made it harder it's uh, yeah it's been a real tricky one to get around <laughs> I'm looking at it now, and it, like you're right, you absolutely nailed the water droplets on the nose. I look at the horn, and I do think about, the, like I've worked with textures like that, right, where there is no pattern, but mm-hmm. there is a pattern. Like yeah. it, there's a pattern in the sense that if you initiate a pattern where there isn't one, then it looks weird. Yeah, and then you've got this balance of light where you've got uh, shadow, you've got obviously highlights that you've done brilliantly on the top of the uh, of the the horns. And then you've got, it It looks like it's bottom lit as well. So you've got mm-hmm. that conflict, two of those two. And then you're trying to show the shadow on the backside. And it's, yeah, I'm looking at this, the more I look at it, and the more I think about it, it's like, hats off to you for trying it, because that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it won't beat me, though. I know I will get there yeah. eventually. But I think at the moment, what I might do is just move on to the fur and do something a little bit more familiar, get myself really engrossed in that so that I, you know, I bring my brush strokes and my brushwork back up to scratch and then I think I might go back into it again with a fresh 
And this is to say, it looks brilliant. Like, it really does look wonderful. And you really get a sense of depth with certain parts of this buffalo at this point. It's, I'm anxious to see this complete. Can I ask you, but so did you, when you primed, so you primed the whole background mm-hmm. in a, a gray that you thought, and, and it's an excellent choice because you can see some of that within the image. So it's not shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, just a wonderful background that you've put into that. But did you prime then? Was, is that gesso or did you no, gesso and then? So the, that one is actually a panel. So it's, uh, I think it's plywood I've used that's then been sealed and you know all the stuff that makes it archival. It's not going to leak anything into the painting. Um, the linen has then been fixed onto the top and then gessoed in white. So then I drew out the buffalo and I think I've painted a lot of his, uh, base work and then decided on the color for the background so the background's actually just painted okay. around him wow i mean when you show the nose it, it looks like like yeah i mean obviously you added the hair the hairs afterwards but uh to be able to put in the background uh after you've yeah. done that that's <laughs> yeah i mean because like i say i started it a little while ago there are a couple of areas on that background that need touching up and i'm not looking forward to that because i have got to match that perfectly so, yeah, that's another challenge waiting for me. Sorry. Down the line. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to be bringing this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this whole piece is just going to be, yeah, it's one of those where it just pushes you to your limit. But I, I want to get to the point where I, you know, you can put the paintbrush down and you're like, I finished it and it looks awesome. Like, I want to get to that point. So that's my, that's my focus. And I think I just push through until I get there. So everyone listening, please follow Zoe and, <laughs> and, and cheer her. She posts yeah. more works in progress. And then when she finally finishes this piece, make sure you give her a good uh, a good like and comment because, uh, yeah. yeah, I can appreciate the challenge in this. Yeah, the support from social media is uh, phenomenal, really. I mean, I've, I've been on, I've had that account since 2016, I think. So I've, you know, it has been a gradual um, increase of people um, discovering me but throughout the whole time of me having that page people have been so kind and so supportive so I think it plays quite a big part doesn't it, in feeling validated as an artist not in the sense that you you know that you won't produce the work unless you get likes but just because we work alone having that sense of community and that encouragement and things makes you think oh yeah okay I'm, I'm on the right track here and you know I'm making an impression whether it be a small impression or a big impression you know like I started off with it being I don't know I'd get 40 likes I was like wow these people are liking my stuff it's amazing and it's fantastic because you're impacting people without them even saying anything people will send a message and I'm sure you get them as well about the impact of your work on them and they haven't said anything else but obviously they've been following you for a while and and they've been doing this other work. And when you get that kind of feedback, you start to realize that, and and rightfully so, it's more than the likes. You're having yeah. a real impact on people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, the comments and messages that I get from people where they've just, you know, been watching along silently, just taking it all in. And then I'll get a comment or a message from them just saying, I've been following your work for two, three years. And you've inspired me to pick up the colour pencils again or to have a go at something more challenging. I think that's just so amazing to have that opportunity to 
share and to encourage and inspire. So, I mean, I'm inspired by so many artists on Instagram. So to be someone that is inspiring someone else as well is amazing. That's fantastic. So I want to talk about social media and then we'll get to that wonderful piece around homework. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to kind of take this a little bit further and talk about social media and things like Patreon and Pinterest as well. Mm-hmm. So you talk recently about Pinterest. So is that something that you're playing with as well? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to the days I spent with interior designers. So they would use Pinterest quite heavily to help them uh, bring a visual you know, idea to a client because you can't just say to a client, we're going to paint it red and we're going to put this here. You know, they need to be able to see what your vision is. So they would collect images from Pinterest and that would include artwork as well so there's that element to it but then I actually spoke to someone at Pinterest who was saying that quite often people will go there to search for anything to do with um, home renovation um, artwork uh, products uh, inspiration all sorts of things but they don't necessarily know what they're looking for they'll just type in I don't know uh, white kitchen and they'll just see all of these ideas. They end up going down a rabbit hole and they'll find stuff and then piece it all together. So she was saying that Pinterest is a really good idea for artists to pay attention to because when people search on Pinterest, they're not, right, they're not really set into what they're going to buy or they're looking for. So you can kind of, you know, it's like you're all standing in the line, you're waving your hands, they kind of are like, oh, okay, there's some people over there, I'll go and have a look at their stuff. Whereas they're not necessarily... I'm going to search for realistic Kate Buffalo painting on in, on Instagram to find my picture of a, of a Kate Buffalo. Right. They're not there yet. They're still looking at, oh, I might like an animal picture maybe on my wall. So they'd go to Pinterest, they'd type in animal painting. And then if you're on Pinterest, you might then filter up into their searches and then they would then find you and go to Instagram and see the rest of your stuff. So it's quite a good uh, way of using the... I believe it's the funnel, like marketing funnel. Mm-hmm. It's all terms that I'm are relatively new to, but obviously you've got us right down the bottom in our niche where we've got our products and everything is set, but we need to catch people right at the very top of it where they're not really sure of exactly what they want. They're not going to type in your name into Google or, or um, social media or your specific piece of artwork because they don't know you exist what they're searching for is still quite generic. So Pinterest is really good for capturing those people. Um, not, not physically, <laughs> but <laughs> just getting their attention on you. Um, and yeah, just being present in a different search platform. When you have a website for your artwork, it can be really hard to get to a high ranking on Google because there are just so many artists out there. So I think Pinterest allows people to just search for images so then people are more likely to find you when you fit into a category of what they're searching for. Yeah, true enough. And people aren't going to be searching necessarily for Zoe Fitchett yet. Yeah. Hopefully one day, but yeah, at the <laughs> yes, moment it's, exactly. uh, it's not quite there. <laughs> right, but you're right. I mean, it could be that they end up stumbling on the Cape Buffalo because they're searching on something else and it all mm-hmm. ties in. It's it's That's interesting. I'm going to have to explore that a little bit. And one thing that you've also explored is Patreon. And how has that experience been for you? So 
So Patreon's been a bit of a tricky one for me because I didn't realise quite how much work was going to be involved in it. I did a bit of research before I launched and I found videos on YouTube of artists that had all the pros and then there were other artists that had the cons. And I thought, you know, I can see both sides. I'm going to have a go at it and see how it works for me. But I actually really struggled to create the the videos and edit them because colour pencil is quite a slow medium. I know there are lots of other artists out there that use colour pencils and they thrive on um, Patreon. They do it really well. But I think for me personally, the balance of trying to build that platform whilst creating videos that, you know, the piece of artwork's taking about 20 hours or something plus the 50 hours of editing because I'm so slow at that process. (laughs) All of that combined to then only really get to, I think I was earning at the most about £300 a month, which it just was not even touching the surface of the amount of work that was going into it. And patron really is another income source, isn't it, really? So you don't want to be putting in lots and lots of time that then pulls you away from other things and not get what you need out of it. So I tried for about three months or so which isn't very long for that sort of thing but at the time I just had a baby and I was trying to juggle all sorts I naively probably expected a bit more at the start than I got which you know is another learning curve perhaps I didn't do my marketing correctly I just I don't think I went about it the right way at all so for me the whole experience of Patreon has been not very successful I went I did leave it for a bit and then came back to it recently um, just offering really small tutorials and then some digital stuff like I've done research on target market on uh, content pillars loads of stuff that I'm researching anyway I've then put into uh, worksheets and things that other artists can then use so I put all of this out there, but I was just finding patrons were just not interested. So my numbers have just been dwindling right down and it's kind of, it's on its way down to a a finish anyway. So I've just cut it at this month and I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. I think some of the stuff that I've created, I might then add to my website or potentially make available on YouTube. So it just, you know, it's there for people to reference. So it's not wasted, but yeah, patron can work brilliantly but it just hasn't worked out for me before we get into the homework and i don't want to keep you too long here (laughs) because i know you've got so much on your plate (laughs) a couple more questions in that what do you think's the best advice you've ever received oh i think it has to come down to mindset really because i've had people at school and college have i've been very fortunate that i've had that encouragement So if you're in a position where you're finding that you're not being encouraged by those around you, it might be quite difficult to um, push yourself and realise the potential you have in an artistic career. But surrounding yourself with people who are encouraging and who are building you up and, you know, giving you that sort of positive mindset of I can do this and it will work out, you know, if I put my mind to it, if I do the work is really important because I feel very privileged really to have had that upbringing and through school and everything so I hear so often where people have 
you know, whether it be family or friends or colleagues or, you know, whatever it is, the other thing, oh, no, you're never going to make it as an artist. What do you think? Like, that's not a job. Like, what do you think you're doing? You need to go off and do whatever it is that's a real job. I hear that one a lot. <laughs> but um, there are so many people out there, whether it be on social media, on art, uh, through art societies or anything like that, that you can surround yourself with those people that will help build you up and have the kind of more optimistic mindset. So I think that's quite important, really, uh, especially when you're starting out, but then also all the way through because there's so many ups and downs when it comes to being an artist that like you can feel on top of your game at one point and then two days later you think everything's terrible and you can't do it. <laughs> yes, been at the top and been at the bottom <laughs> multiple times during the week. Yeah. So I have another question. I didn't send you this one in advance, um, so you can take a, a couple of moments to think about it, but I'm curious what your answer would be. If you had a chance to have lunch with a fictional person, who would it be? Oh, so I think I would go for, as cringe as it sounds, I'd go for Rapunzel from the Disney film Tangled because she's very creative. She um, went from being in a really uh, controlled environment where she was you know, stuck in a place that she didn't want to be with someone that wasn't particularly very encouraging, but she still maintained that... Um, optimistic outlook on life she used creativity in everything that she put her hand to and she's just yeah always looking for adventure very friendly she just sounds like a good person to chat to <laughs> and she has cool hair <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> what do you think your first question for her would be um how do you stay so optimistic um i find optimism is one of those things I have, I've had to teach myself that I think um, I mean we all have our fair share of ups and downs life experiences and what have you but I don't know what, where it came from my uh, glass half empty kind of attitude I had that for quite a long time and it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really tried I've tried to push myself towards the other um, outlook and to see the positive look for the best in people and um yeah, just make the most of things, I think. So, yeah, I'd ask her how she how she keeps that up. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, we probably all could use a little bit more Rapunzel in our lives, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cringe. I'm going to listen back to this and think, oh, my goodness. Why didn't I pick someone cooler? <laughs> no, that's... It. You know, this this says something about you um, that I think people will find endearing, and I think that uh, it's something I haven't really thought about. And I've watched, you know, I have two young girls, well, they're teenage now, but I've watched all of these movies dozens of times, and so I can totally appreciate where you're coming from with it. So she loves animals as well. She loves, she's got a little pet chameleon and the horse and all that. So yeah, she's a girl after my own heart. <laughs> yeah. Rapunzel and, and the movie Brave, I think, both spoke to me. So, Yeah, that's a yeah. good one as well. She's yeah. Merida. She's a cool character. <laughs> yes, she is. So I get to the point, as I always do, around homework, because I love the listener to be able to take some of what we've done, whether they're inspired by your work or um, your journey, but being able to take something you would kind of establish as being homework and take that away and do something with it. So... So I'm wondering what homework you would recommend for the listener. So actually, when I was thinking about this, I've kind of got two things that I would recommend uh, from stuff I've learned in the past 
and from things that are quite relevant at the moment. So a lot of artists will use Instagram for getting their work out there. And I, I hear this a lot with the whole algorithm thing. It's always working against us. It's not necessarily for artists. Still images aren't doing so well and all of that kind of thing. So I think the idea of filming your work and putting together reels and things can be quite daunting if you're used to just taking a photograph of your work and relying on the still images. So I've found reels to be really beneficial in maintaining the engagement with uh, people that follow me, uh, to reach new people, and to just put out some slightly more um, dynamic content that people can really get behind the scenes and see a bit more of the process. I think people really love that. So for anyone that's really unsure about the whole uh, I can't make a reel thing, it doesn't go very far when I have tried before in the past, um, it's not really worth doing it, that I'd really encourage to just keep going with them and try to make them as interesting as possible. Like the, you've got the whole your first few seconds need to really engage the viewer and make it really interesting, like good quality footage and uh, just playing around with the uh, music and the timings of things just see what works for you I think you can make a, a short video in your own style it doesn't have to be like set by a template or anything like that so yeah just be creative with it I think and then lose the uh, the pressure of oh it didn't do very well this time um, and just use it as a learning experience to figure out what does work for you and what might do better in the future so definitely have a go at reels and film a bit of your work remember to do that before you finish the work remember to take some footage as you go through <laughs> so i think we've all done it as you get to the end you're like oh i didn't actually film a, a single thing but as long as you have about i don't know four or five little snippets of footage you can piece them together and it just shows a bit of the process so definitely give them a go they're worth they're worth the hassle if you find them <laughs> a burden but yeah just keep cracking so i think before you get to your second one mm-hmm. the I, I do want to highlight that you can have huge success. I've had that with my reels, but then mm-hmm. even one of the last, maybe the last two I've posted, they were down, but it, it doesn't deter me because I thought I did a good job. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think giving those a go. Um, the other thing I really like about yours is that it doesn't have to be a finished piece because I've had a comment from a few artists where they'll spend 20, 40, a hundred hours on a piece and they figure they have to they can't release the reel till they're done. Yeah. The fact that you've done the one on the Buffalo and some of the others speaks to the fact that people just want to see a little view into your world for that day. And I think yeah. you do it so well. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, I've, I'm playing around with lots of different things at the moment because it's only in the last couple of months that I've really tried to get over my fear of being in the video. Like, I don't mind doing interviews and stuff because you know, it's all very you know set there's only a few different ways you can do an interview but when it comes to filming yourself um when you're working I found a little bit I was a little bit embarrassed by my surroundings like oh they're not very cool like no one's going to want to see my half made up kitchen that's in the middle of being renovated or oh it looks so messy I just I didn't (laughs) want to put it in there but then I don't I don't know what changed but I just thought do you know what actually that is that's the reality of what I am working in. I have a studio, but I don't actually have the opportunity to work in it very often because I have a little one who prefers to roam around downstairs. So 
of showing the reality of where I actually work and my setup and things people loved seeing that and I think the vulnerability as well of showing that little bit of you that you do usually like to hide away I mean I'm not saying that people should share stuff they're not comfortable with but just a little glimpse here and there of like where you work or a little bit of your drawing so they can see who's behind the artwork is is really interesting for people so I think getting over those yeah the embarrassment or the the shame or the fear of whatever it is of you uh, sharing stuff that you're not um, proud of necessarily actually is quite uh, relatable to a lot of people so I think those sorts of reels can go a lot further because they're not as polished. Do you focus on 15 second or 30 second? Oh I, I don't look at the time I just piece together what footage I've got and then deal with it <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not very technically aware of the whole timing and that the okay. songs I'll occasionally look at uh, the trends but not very often I usually stick to music that suits my aesthetic right cool <laughs> and what was the other bit of homework so the other bit of homework is kind of, it kind of comes out of the whole Kate Buffalo texture challenge that I've set for myself <laughs> um, and so it's actually back when I worked with, uh, so when I'm working with colour pencil, I found there was a texture that I hadn't tried before, which is elephant skin or rhino skin. I'm now coming up again with the acrylic version, but <laughs> colour pencil were my go-to and I was, I was avoiding them because I thought this is going to be too hard. I'm not going to be able to do it. And when I finally got around to drawing out the elephant, or the, I think I started on the rhino actually, I found the whole process of figuring it out on the job, like as you're working and creating this piece, was so um, invaluable to uh, developing my skill set and figuring out different techniques and just building up my confidence as well. Because if you set yourself a challenge that you think is actually really difficult and you push through it and you succeed, even if it takes multiple attempts, but you get to a point where you've learnt a lot, you've done a pretty good job of it even if you're not 100% happy with it you've just you've given it a go and you've learned something from it I think that's really it's really beneficial to you as an artist because you can use those skills to then go on to something else so even if you're never going to go back to drawing another rhino or another elephant or I may not paint another cute buffalo horn <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the process of learning and developing your skills and applying different techniques and things it just all helps go to towards your artistic ability and how you uh, work with your references and all that sort of thing so I think taking on those challenges that you set uh, well, that you think perhaps are too hard to even do a little focused drawing of something um, that you find difficult just get it drawn up and put yourself in front of it and start somewhere because unless you actually take the initiative to to get it there in front of you with your pencils or paintbrush in hand, you're going to put it off and then you, you'll miss out on the lessons that you learn from it. So I think it's definitely worth pushing through that fear of that'll be too hard because even if it is too hard, you will learn a way of working around it on the job so there's so much to learn from from setting yourself a challenge 
I agree. And you have to give yourself in, uh, give yourself over to the process mm-hmm. because yeah. the process will take over and you'll realize three hours in, it's like, wow, this yeah. little tiny part of the image, I nailed it. And then yeah. you just translate that out to the rest of the uh, the piece, right? So yeah. yeah. And even if you work on that three or four attempts and they all end up in the bin, you've still learned something from that. You're not throwing yes. the experience in the bin. So you, you know, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, to, to learn what to do, we have to first maybe learn what not to do. So yeah. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Zoe, you know, there's so much of you online through Instagram and your website. I'm wondering if you talk about um, where people can find you and what they can find there. Mm-hmm. So my Instagram is where I post most of my content. It's all up to date and, you know, there's uh, work in progress and things on there. So that's Zoe Fitcher Art. Um, I then have my website, which kind of just gives you an overview of what I do for conservation and things like that, different projects that I'm involved with, and then a little bit about me. Um, so that is zoefitchit.co.uk. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> on some of the, yeah, I'm on some of the other platforms as well, but I just haven't been able to invest very much time into those. So you could you can search me on Pinterest tiktok and twitter but you'll be a very small and privileged number of people (laughs) (laughs) well what i love about your website is your blog as well so i would encourage people to check that out uh, oh yeah no i do that's actually a part that i forget to publicize but it's um i found that as a brilliant platform to share stories of other artists and other organizations and things so there's a lot of information on there about art and linking to conservation and um, different projects around the world and stuff so yeah that is a good shout that is on my website just as a little tab so you can go on there yeah it's wonderful well so i thank you uh, so much for your time it was uh i'm off this week we had an early start it was 6 30 a.m my time <laughs> just to make the schedules match and i have to say this is the best start to my day uh being inspired by an artist who's really kicking it as a matter of uh, producing this wonderful quality, wonderful work, inspiring others um, to be better artists through the work that you do and just inspiring us to be better people and kind of managing this planet. So I wanted to thank you so much for your time in sitting with me and doing this interview. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure, honestly. It's been so nice to speak to another artist and you've given me loads of ideas and I've been really inspired speaking to you as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Wishing you all the best for the remainder of 2022 and into 23. And I hope we have the opportunity to connect in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I'll be looking out for your small drawings if you uh, if you get <laughs> to have a go on those. <laughs> well, the brilliant thing about doing an interview this early is it's 8.30 my time. Mm-hmm. And now I get to go to an art store and buy some 64, 640 GSM paper. And <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you'll love it. It's really fun. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Thanks again, Zoe. Have a good week. Bye. Okay, bye. Show notes, including links to everything Zoe and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 82. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe or follow, share and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.